Sing Second Sports is a ProVision Advisors production. Let us solve your toughest communication problems and leave your team stronger and more capable for the challenges that lie ahead. Visit www.provisionadvisors.net to learn more. All right. Hey, hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Sing Second Sports Podcast. I'm John Schofield, your host. Joining me is Bill Wagner of the Capital Gazette and Baltimore Sun Newspapers, and Chris Cervello is our producer. A lot to get to this week, so let's jump right into it, ladies and gentlemen. We have talked at length about the struggles uh, here of the men's lacrosse team. They had lost two in a row before starting off the Patriot League slate. And then Bill Wagner, ladies and gentlemen, was in attendance at Navy Marine Corps Stadium as a very inopportune, uh, unsportsmanlike conduct flag right after an injury to Patrick Skalniak, which Wags will get into here in a second. Uh, But all of a sudden, Lehigh goes on like a 9-2 run, and the end result is that Joe Amplo's boys start off the Patriot League slate 0-1, and and now they have a three-game losing streak, Wags, and a hurt superstar in Skalniak, and he might be hurt for the considerable future if you can expound. Well, first of all, that that was a tough loss, and Lehigh has been one of the top programs in the Patriot League for some time now. Kevin Cassis has done a great job of building that into a very consistent program, and Lehigh has now beaten Navy in six straight seasons, which is disturbing. That's a team that Navy just cannot beat because uh, he uh, said it after the game. He said, I, I don't know why, but Navy just brings out the best in us. Maybe it's because when he took over at Lehigh, Navy was the team to beat in the Patriot League, and that's what he set his sights on. But I cannot overestimate how that one play changed the entire game. Navy was up by two goals, 7-5, and the shot that Skowniak took looked for sure to be a goal, and that goalie who played out of his mind, which is a subplot, that goalie had been at Navy. He was at, at Plebe Summer at the Academy and left and then transferred to Lehigh. But he played a great game against his uh, what would have been his teammates. But then, you know, Skalniak rushes forward to try to get the loose ball because the ball bounced out into play. And that's when the incident occurred. And it was a penalty for sure. I don't know how the officials missed it. When Amplo, Joe Amplo rushed onto the field to attend to Skowniak, he was going ballistic, screaming at the officials, how could you miss this? And, uh, yeah, turned the whole game around. So, And uh, I don't know who said what, but it turned instead of being a penalty on Lehigh, which should have been, and ended up being an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty on Navy, Lehigh scores the extra man goal, and as you mentioned, 9-2 run, and pretty much game over. Very disappointing start to the Patriot League season, and now Skowniak, what's amazing, John, is Skowniak went back into that game and scored a goal on a crank shot, and uh, we all thought he was fine, but it uh, turns out that after the game, he was experiencing severe pain. They took him to the hospital, and x-rays turned up a very a serious upper back injury, and yes, he's out indefinitely. I would say it would be uh, fortunate if he comes back at the end of this season, and now Navy is going to have to do without its big gun. I mean, he's a guy that stretches the defense. He's got the ability to score from 20 yards out. And uh, 
teams have to respect that. It opens up things and it changes everything for Navy. The other guy who didn't play on Saturday, John, was Dane Swanson. And I said, I bring him up because he is the one other midfielder with a wicked crank shot who can kind of do what Scowniak does. They need to get Swanson back big time now that they've lost Scowniak. The comparisons to football season are eerie here, right? And I know that Xavier Arline and Patrick Scowniak are different players basically playing different positions. But now with Swanson as a question mark, yeah, now all of a sudden Xavier Arline is going to be asked, if he hasn't already been asked, to, to shoulder more of the load in scoring, just as he was asked to do when Ty Labatai went down with the injury in football, back into the fire for Xavier Arline. And as you heard, hopefully, on the pod last week, Xavier Arline is up for that challenge. Is the team up for that challenge is the question. I just came back from Hamilton, New York, where William Schofield was visiting the campus. By the way, it costs $82,000 to go to Colgate. I don't know why that's the case, but Navy men's lacrosse will go up and visit that incredibly expensive campus on Saturday, March 11th, in order to turn this around and hopefully not let this Patriot League season get away from them because it doesn't get any easier after that, Wags, because the next Friday, Hopkins comes a-calling, and we all know what that means. That's a really big challenge and a really big rivalry. I'll let you finish off your thoughts on lacrosse. Well, I think this Colgate game is huge, John. You're on a three-game losing streak. Uh, you got to get it turned around, and like you said, you don't want to start a Patriot League season 0-2, so I think this cold game game is huge. I think you got to go up there and play your best lacrosse and hopefully it's good enough to get the win. But, it, it, you know, you can't, you know, play a poor game and give Colgate game. You can need to go up there and really challenge Colgate and play the best possible game you can. We'll see who steps up and provides scoring in the absence of Scowniak. I mean, the balls in Scowniak stick a lot. And, you know, he does a lot of creating. He's not just a, a gunner shooter he 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 helps create for others so it's on the entire offense to pick up the slack well i'll tell you who's picked up the slack ladies and gentlemen for cindy timchell's navy women's lacrosse team but sophomore uh emily messanese as the annapolis capital properly put it on the very front cover of the sports section don't mess with messanese uh, Navy rolled right down to Richmond after having their home opener against Oregon Friday night, a home opener they won, uh, and went right down and played a ranked Richmond team. I think they were 18th in the country, and they laid the smackdown. Messonese, who Cindy Timchell talked about being a huge loss last year. I think she did her knee like five games in. She's back, and now she's scoring five goals, leading Navy to a very important win uh, down there at a ranked Richmond team. Wags, you wrote the story on Messonese. And I'll tell you what, you want to talk about the mailman Carl Malone and John Stockton from days of old? I think Ava Yavino is the John Stockton and Messonese is Carl the mailman Malone because Yavino is just pouring out assists like it's her job. And Messonese was the benefactor of a lot of that against Richmond, Wags. Well, yeah, I covered the game against Oregon when uh, Ava Yavino had eight assists. It's third most in program history, right? Really rather amazing. It just seemed every time she got the ball, she was feeding someone to score. And then, you know, she goes down and has another huge game at Richmond. She's Navy's leading scorer. So she's playing lights out. And, you know, Messonese, you were 
know, she's an, that's what Cindy told me in the preseason because I said, you know, is Emily back? Is she going to be okay? And she goes, oh, Emily is going to be a major impact player this season. Trust me. And, you know, she's, she called it. Uh, but Navy's got a lot of firepower and uh, looking good. That's a huge win, beating Richmond 20 to 9. My goodness. I'm, I mean, I knew Navy could beat Richmond down on its home field, but I didn't think it would be that big of a route. It's the uh, match is the largest uh, margin of victory against a ranked opponent in program history. Very impressive. And uh, Navy's home against Mount St. Mary's uh, Wednesday night as we tape here Wednesday. So tonight that would be. Um, so uh, women's cross is rolling. And that, that was after uh, taking a tough loss up at that poor little Philadelphia school, Villanova. Yeah, speaking of Pennsylvania schools that uh, are $82,000 a year, yeah, Villanova right now stands as the last loss for Navy Women's Lacrosse after beating them 11-10 uh, a couple of weekends ago, uh, beating Oregon, beating Richmond, and now tonight I hope to be in attendance at Navy Marine Corps Stadium at 6 p.m. tonight to watch us against the Mount. Uh, and then Thursday, March 16th, they take on Jacksonville at home as well. So those last two games get out of the way before the uh, Patriot League season starts for Navy Women's Lacrosse at Bucknell and Lewisburg on March 18th. Before we go to break and after that break, we're going to hear from the co-captain of Navy Women's Lacrosse, Charlotte Ryan. Uh, she's going to talk to us about leading her uh, teammates on the Women's Lacrosse team, but also her capstone project, which is super duper impressive. But before we go to break, let's also talk about some great, great wins for the Navy grapplers. Uh, we've talked to Grady Grice earlier in this, uh, in this season, ladies and gentlemen, and he concluded the 119th EIWA championships up in Philly with a very thrilling victory. He defeated Nathan Taylor of Lehigh by five, by a score of five to one. And now he goes to the NCAAs along with Grice, Josh Cotterhand at 141, David Key, who's just crushing right now at 184. He placed third, Brendan Ferretti at 133, and Jacob Kozer at 197 placed fourth in their respective weight classes, and they earned automatic bids to the NCAAs. Overall, Navy came in fourth in the EIWAs, WAGs. You wrote the story on Grice's stick to itiveness. We talked to him about it earlier this season, but he didn't wrestle as a freshman. He barely wrestled as a sophomore, and now he's going to the NCAA's. That's pretty freaking cool in my book. Well, Grady Grice has had an amazing season, and you know that's kind of was the story. He was injured as a plebe and unable to wrestle at all, and then last year, uh, last as a sophomore, he was beaten out by Ryan Kaka, who was a plebe. So. This has been a huge turnaround for Grady. And I mean, he's 31 and five and nationally ranked. And, you know, I coach Colad said that he thinks Grady could get all American. He thinks he could be on the podium. He's having that good of a year. He's been that effective. I don't know if you saw the uh, video, but that was a really exciting finish to that match. It was one to one. Each wrestler had gotten an escape and it literally in the last 10 seconds that they locked up. And that's when Grady, was able to put Taylor on his back and then earn a near fall. So it was a four-point move that determined the championship. Very exciting. but uh, With like 10 seconds left. It was nuts. Yeah, very cool. And then um, he's the first Navy heavyweight in years since I think something like 2012. Dan Miller, I believe it was, uh, to 
win an EIWA championship. No, there's no small feat to win the EIWA. It's a very, very difficult conference. Um, and then, you know, I talked to Coach Colad. I mean, Sammy Starr might get an enlarged bid. I'm still waiting to hear on whether he got in. Uh, he finished fifth, but uh, you can get an at-large bid based on resume. But, uh, you know, they finished fourth as a team. They're sending five, possibly six guys to nationals. That's that's not where Colette wants this program. He wants to be challenging for EIWA team championships, and he wants to get eight, nine guys forward to the nationals. So still some work to do. And as he said, we got to walk before we we got to crawl before we walk. And uh, that's what they're doing. Well, for his efforts, ladies and gentlemen, Grady Grice was named the co-athlete of the week by NAAA. He joined that assist machine, Ava Uvino, who, by the way, um, went to high school down uh, at St. Thomas Aquinas down at the bottom of Florida. Shout out to Rear Admiral Ryan Perry, the chief of information, who's also a graduate of that fine institution. And then also the co-athletes of the week are Millen Randall and Henry Sparkman of squash who went to the finals in the squash doubles, you know, to win the intercollegiate title. They went to the finals and dropped one to Western Ontario, tough loss for them, but Hey, they went all the way to the finals. Shout out to Randall and Sparkman of squash. In addition to Grady Grice of wrestling and Ava Yovino of women's lacrosse. With Women's Lacrosse on the Brain, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Navy Lacrosse, Navy Women's Lacrosse co-captain Charlotte Ryan. So stick with us. This is Sing Second Sports. All right, Sing Second fans, a few announcements from our friends at the Naval Academy Athletic Association. Navy baseball returns to Max Bishop Stadium this weekend for a three-game series with the Princeton Tigers. Saturday's action will feature a doubleheader beginning at 1 p.m., followed by the final game of the series being played on Sunday at 1 p.m. Navy will be hosting post-game autographs with the baseball team following the Sunday afternoon contest, and the first 100 fans in line for autographs will receive a free t-shirt. Also, Navy Women's Lacrosse returns home Thursday, March 16th to take on Jacksonville at 3 p.m. Remember, all Navy women's lacrosse games are free to attend. Now back to the pod. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back on the podcast. It's time for our athlete segment. What a great honor it is to be joined by the co-captain of the women's lacrosse team, Charlotte Ryan. She is fresh off of an airplane uh, from San Diego. We're going to get all into the details of what she was doing in San Diego, what she's going to be doing for spring break, and how the lacrosse season is doing. Charlotte, Thank you so much for joining us. I know you're a little bit jet lagged, but yeah, walk us through. How's how's your season? How are the dark ages? How's your senior year going? It's great. Our season started off pretty well. We've learned a lot from the first four games. Uh, looking forward to our first home game tomorrow. Very excited. So you welcome in the Oregon Ducks and you're coming off of, you know, a tough little road trip up to my alma mater at Villanova University. So that warm feeling that you had while you were walking around campus um, is all because it's the greatest place on the planet. Uh, all joking aside, how do you feel about you know the the season so far? You've started it off on the road. We talked to Cindy at the beginning of the year. She walked us through a little bit of what her expectations are. But wh- where do you feel like you've grown as a team? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think the away games really brought us together as a team. The first four starting off on the road. 
um, always a challenge. Like the plebes don't know what it's like to play a Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium yet. So, um, but I think each game we're just trying to put together 60 minutes or more of solid lacrosse all over the field. Um, we've been really focusing on just playing together as a team. Uh, when defense comes up with a great stop, carry that over into the offense, produce some goals off of that. So yeah, really playing together. Um, that's been our biggest goal. So your ability to play together at the very outset of your career was basically derailed by the pandemic. You know, your freshman year was, was shortened. You didn't even get to compete because of the pandemic played in four games, your uh, sophomore season, and then played in all 20 last year. And now eventually rising to the level of being uh, the co-captain I've been talking to a lot of different players and coaches throughout the year, you know, asking them to recall those very, very dark days, you know, when you're roaming, you know, like, Hey, welcome to the Naval Academy. Like it's not hard enough. And you're a plebe. It's not hard enough. And then they're like, Hey, uh, no Starbucks, no Dunkin' Donuts, no anything. You're in your room. Talk to me about how your evolution has gone as an individual from really, really tough beginnings to being a leader, being a three striper, being someone who your teammates and your classmates are looking up to. Yeah, it was a very tough beginning. Um, Such a disappointing lead year, the season cut short and whatnot. And then still some uh, COVID happening sophomore year and whatnot. Um, I think COVID in general really brought our class as a whole together, which has allowed us to lead on and off the field. Um, and, and it kind of brought us together more so off the field because we weren't always spending that time um, on the field in as much practice and stuff, especially plebeer. Um, so I, yeah, I think we have a bunch of great leaders in the senior class and a lot of people stepping up this year. And I think that's just an, attributed to the culture we've put into place. I always give coach Timschel so much crap because she's so low energy. You know, she's never really moving around. She's just very calm and, and docile on the sidelines, never, never yelling, never excited, never moving around. What's it like being around coach Timschel's energy and, and yeah, you know, how have you learned as a leader by watching her and some of the other assistant coaches? Yeah. Coach Timschel always has energy. <laughs> um, She's such a legend in the lacrosse world. And I think coming in, I was super, super excited to be able to play under her. Um, Knows the game so well and has been in the game for so long. Um, Has so many different connections out there, which allows us to bring a lot of different aspects into our game. We're always watching other teams playing, um, seeing what works for them, what could work for us, that type of thing. Um, Yeah, she's definitely been a large influence on and off the field. Well, I know a large amount of influence in your life right now is athletics, and it started that way. You were a three-sport athlete um, in high school. How Karen Gabera let you get away uh, from playing soccer, I don't know, but you've obviously found your niche um, on the lacrosse field. How, how has athletics shaped your ability to, and we're going to get to your academic achievements here in a minute, but how has is, how is your experience with athletics shaped you as a person and as a leader? It's really taught me commitment, dedication, time management. I mean, I remember in those high school days, it was whatever sport season I was in, we had that practice and there was always a, another practice, normally lacrosse, because that was my main thing afterwards. Um, but I've always loved the teamwork aspect of it, the camaraderie, 
um, always striving to get better. So it's definitely shaped a large part of who I am. So you had to take a little break uh, from the team this week, but for a pretty good reason. Um, you got to go out to San Diego. You were on USS Abraham Lincoln. Uh, congratulations, by the way, to my old shipmate, Amy Bonnerschmidt, the CEO of Lincoln, who was just selected for her first star. Very deserved, very awesome. But walk the listeners through, Charlotte, what you were doing out there for your capstone and, and what you're studying and how get, getting onto uh, Abraham Lincoln really helped you with that. Mm-hmm. So as a mechanical engineering major, uh, everybody has to do a capstone project senior year. And so you put your preferences in second class year. And so my group, there's me and three others. Uh, we chose to do, um, it's named Spider. We kind of made that up, uh, ceiling protective integrated door redesign. So we're looking at the watertight doors on the outside of the carriers. Um, and they're suspected to a lot of corrosion just because of the sea spray, they're in a seawater environment, that type of thing. Um, And the corrosion eats away at the door and then makes it not able to perform its function. So we're looking at redesigning the doors to still produce the structural and stiffness properties they need to. Um, We're hoping that that we can increase the lifespan of the doors the uh, the swoop pin that I no longer wear was was basically you know was pulsating on my chest as I as I started hearing about watertight doors again. You know, as a mechanical engineering major, what are you what are you service assigned to um, next? I service selected submarines. Oh come on, Charlotte, darn! <laughs> there was so much hope for you. I mean, the, the going surface warfare and then public affairs. You know that that seems to be the the method of success. Did you always want to do submarines? Pretty much. I came in knowing I wanted to be an engineering major and I knew that submariners deal a lot with that. So um, yeah, so I early selected last year um, as part of the Bowman scholarship program. So next year I can head off to NPS for a year before I get on to power school. Oh, Chris Cervello, our co-host who also went to NPS before getting to the fleet, uh, likes hearing that. Um, in the end, you know, the nuke bonus is not a bad thing to, uh, to have either, right? I'm not complaining. <laughs> <laughs> that with the first class loan, like, oh man, you're, you're going to be living pretty. So Charlotte, I'm going to let you go, but preview the rest of the year for us. Um, you've got the home opener against Oregon. And then after that, you're really getting, you're really getting into the thick of the, uh, of the Patriot League slate. I know that your goal, along with your teammates, is to make the NCAA tournament and make a deep run. You know, how, do, how do you see this shaping out? What are some of the games that you've circled on the calendar other than the next one, obviously? But Yeah, Army and Loyola are definitely the biggest games every season. So those are definitely, they're far off, but we're, we're preparing. Um, yeah, I'm really happy this year. We're playing a lot of top-notch teams, which I think is a great challenge for our program and only helps us get better. So Richmond this weekend. Um, Oregon's a great challenge tomorrow. Uh, Jacksonville over spring break, like all these teams are ranked and will provide a good challenge for Navy Women's Lacrosse. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, they get Richmond on the road on Sunday, March 5th. Mount comes into Navy Marine Corps Stadium on Wednesday, March 8th. And then as Charlotte said, during spring break, Jacksonville rolls in here for a Thursday afternoon matinee, um, 3 p.m. on March 16th. That should be kind of an interesting uh, game and start time for sure. And then Bucknell starts us off on the Patriot League season on March 18th. Charlotte, as you go out, um, 
I know that it's hard to say, oh, I would do it all over again. You know, I would definitely go to the Naval Academy. Yeah, this is this is exactly how I saw my dreams playing out. But if you had, you know, an elevator ride or 10 seconds or 30 seconds with a prospective recruit, with anyone considering the Naval Academy, what would you tell them the Naval Academy meant to you? What does it mean to you and how has it built you as a leader and a uh, and a future Naval officer? It's the best choice I've ever made. Um, everyone says you meet your greatest friends and that that's the truth. Um, I'm so close to the girls on the team, people in company. Um, those are my friends for life. And once you make those friends, it's like you really care. And that's what matters as a leader, caring for those around you. Um, so that's what's kind of built my leadership mentality. Scholar, athlete, leader, co-captain of the Navy women's lacrosse team, Charlotte Ryan. Thank you so much for joining the Sing Second Sports Podcast. And we will be cheering for you all year long. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Charlotte Ryan. We're going to go to break. Sing Second Sports. One more set of announcements from our friends at NAAA. Celebrate St. Patrick's Day with the Navy men's lacrosse team as they return to Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium Friday, March 17th to take on in-state rival Johns Hopkins. The game is presented by Navy Mutual and the first 500 fans will receive a free light-up shamrock necklace. In addition, green beer will be sold at the stadium. You have John Schofield's attention. For tickets, call 1-800-US-4-NAVY or visit NavySports.com. And finally, join us at Camden Yards as the Navy baseball team takes on UMBC on Wednesday, March 29th at the home of the Baltimore Orioles. First pitch is slated for 6 p.m. Tickets to the game are just $10 and can be purchased by visiting Orioles.com slash UMBC Navy game. Now back to the pod. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back from break. Thank you for sticking with us. This is a great segment. I love the alumni segments, ladies and gentlemen. And to review, uh, we love talking to the alumni about what the physical mission meant to them as they went on in their careers. Some of the alumni have gone on to become flag officers, strike group commanders, three, four-star admirals. Um, Others have only done their five years but have gone on to lead and win. Uh, in the civilian community, you know, as entrepreneurs, as volunteers, but as people who are taking the lessons from the physical mission and applying them to their craft. Now, I mentioned the words lead to win. Learn how to lead to win is the title of Admiral Mike Manazer's book, uh, which just came out this year. And I am so happy to be joined by one of my mentors and one of my favorite people. Admiral, first of all, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Secondly, Please catch our listeners up with with what you've been up to. You graduate in 1981. You become a combat aviator. You even fly a little bit with some slacker named Ted Carter in the back seat. But you know, catch us up with what you've been up to and introduce your book, please. Oh, thanks. It's awesome to be here, and and you're exactly right. We'll talk about you know what what got me on this path, and I'll apologize to the listeners. Uh, there's a couple of rescue pit bulls right down over here, and and they like the gardeners a lot, <laughs> so they want to get out. So if, if if some really cool barks start coming, um, that's because they want to go play we with love friends. It. So uh, yeah, so graduated in 1981, had a wonderful career as a uh, as a fighter pilot, got to drive ships. Um, it turns out that Ted Carter and I have been 
kind of banging together in our careers ever since graduation. We knew each other at the, at the boat school and then through naval aviation. He was a backseater in fighters, started out in Phantoms and came over to, to Tomcats. And then we had a great tour as a fleet replacement squadron in, instructors of VF-124 at San Diego. He is the best backseater I've ever flown with, ever. Um, the guy has sense, uh, air sense. It's just spectacular. So, um, of course, it helps when he's a superintendent and they bring a jet and you got to put names on the jet. And so I end up on the front because he's on the back over at the Naval Academy by Gate 8. It's pretty cool. But anyway, love to fly. Um, got a chance to fly Super Hornets later, but had the opportunity to learn how to boil water a different way with Navy nuclear power and went on to drive ships in the second half of my career. So wonderful experience after graduating from the Naval Academy and, and going to do that. And, and throughout that experience, you know, I wrote the book, Learn How to Lead to Win, which describes actually learning how to lead. And so, you know, how to be a commanding officer of VF-31 in 1997, when I actually sat at the U bar in Oceana and literally, no kidding, not a cliche, said to myself, why is morale important? And I was sitting next to somebody, a fighter buddy of mine, we're in there, you know, we're down and there's actually nobody there yet. It was like the middle of the afternoon for some weird reason, drinking beer at Oceana. <laughs> And I was just about to take command of the, of the Tomcatters. And it started to weigh on me that I had, I was about to take charge of 350 people. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be the commanding officer. And so that started, um, there they go. That started, hang on a second. Try to tell them that's dad's friends. Uh, and so that started my journey into, you know, how, and that's why the book actually is learn how to, because a lot of the times you read, you know, like, uh, I don't know, some slogan about leading, but but I found in in my my maturation from a squadron commanding officer to being a striker commander of 10,000 people in 2012, 2013, you know, how do you, how do you lead people? And it's not about the title, it's about connecting, it's about being vulnerable, and then, you know, leading human beings. And so that book, that goes from Thinking about the Naval Academy and how I got my 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 vision and where I want to go there, all the way to a two-star admiral. It is solely the the Navy career. Um, been five and a half years in industry since then, and and I tell you what, leading people out here is the same as leading people in the Navy. And so the the book has three themes to it, and I'll stop talking. It's uh, first is begin with the end in sight. I had a vision, and I and I then I wanted to fly. I want to go to the Naval Academy to fly. I want to fly fighters, and I wanted to you know drive ships. And the second one is fail. Don't be afraid to fail. There's lots of failure in that book. You know, I had a really jagged career path getting to the end of 36 years and there's a lot of failure. And then the third one is obviously, how do you recover from failure? How are you resilient? And what do you learn when you actually realize that that failure was supposed to happen as part of providence or fate or something like that? It sounds an awful lot like the things that we hear from athletes on this podcast, Admiral, like, you know, you you have to be ready for failure out there, whether it's on the soccer pitch, on the basketball court, intramural warring, or you know what whatever you're doing, the failure and the experience you get in athletics seems to be foundational to this conversation. Yeah, I, I, what was your experience with athletics at the Naval Academy, and how often do you rely on those lessons? of being physically fit, of being ready to rock in that way that helps you become a more effective leader. Yeah, thanks. As I was thinking about coming on today, I'm not, you know, I was a club athlete. You know, I ran track and, and uh, played soccer in high school. Recognized when I got to the Naval Academy that collegiate sports is somewhere well above where I was. <laughs> I thought I was a pretty fast quarter miler 
um, in Southern California, but I was, I was fairly much way back there in the, in the heats and, and then, uh, you know, tried my hand at sports, but the Naval Academy imbues in you a sense of, of competing successfully and continuing to strive to overcome your own limits. And it's that competition that I learned and, and to be able to go through the Academy mentally, physically, morally, and succeed in that competition applies to athletics. And, and then the other thing, which is really fun is flying a fighter around a, you know, actually flying a fighter is, is a, it's a pro sport, man. Daytime around a carrier is awesome. And it is just, I mean, you are humping in there and being in tip, tip top shape and being able to, you know, twist around in the, in the cockpit and be able to push off the opposite side of the canopy, turn your head around the other side of the ejection seat to see where that guy is behind you. And by the, at the same time, pulling six and a half to seven and a half G's, you know, in there and, and then flipping around the other way, that's, that's athletics. And, and you got to keep yourself in, in tip top shape to do that. So I learned at the Naval Academy, one, how to, how to like compete against myself and then also how to teach people um, the ins and outs of, of competition. Like, okay, how, how do you do that little trick? I actually learned one time that I could fly the Tomcat better on the, on the meatball with no gloves on. And so literally I would tell students, take your gloves off. You can fly the airplane with your fingertips. You can dance on the throttles. You can put your fingertips around a stick. And it's these little nuanced things that I think are some a little bit close to a one-handed helmet catch, you know, every once in a while. But, uh, you know, that kind of thing. It's pretty cool. I love it. Wow. Well, I was going to ask you, you know, as you wrote your book, how much did you draw upon the example of your friend Ted Carter? I mean, there's a pretty impressive leader who's Admiral, superintendent of the Naval Academy, is now the president of the University of Nebraska. I would imagine Ted would be a good example of learning how to lead. Oh, I agree, uh, Bill. Thanks. the The book and the the the, uh, the journey in the book is my own, um, and it's how I learned to lead specifically with myself. Uh, but but definitely, you know, Ted Carter is one of the best leaders I know, and and he he is the closest friend that I have in fighter aviation as we bounced off each other. We were we went to nuke school together and we talked to each other about the going to nuke school process. And the thing that actually got me over the hump to go into nuke school was he called me at 11 o'clock at night and he said, I think I'm going to go. And we were both like, ah, I don't know, we want to bogey, bogey air wing commanders, but I take his example all the time. And again, we're a great team, uh, fastest he's ever been in, air, in an airplanes with me, 1.3 on the deck going by USS Ranger in 1988, I think, 87 or 88, uh, in, a, in a Tomcat. And so we share all these wonderful experiences. Um, and I, I do reflect on, I don't tell stories about other people in my book, uh, except for they had a, a, you know, an impact on me. But definitely Ted and, um, and other really good leaders like him, you know, I learned a lot. And uh, I'll also tell you, you know, both you guys, all leadership is plagiarism. You, if you work for a bad leader, you, you know what you're not going to do. If you work for a good leader, you do that. And there's nothing new in my book. What I dive into is how I overcame the challenges to leadership and what I thought about. Well, I was going to ask you, you're now with Boeing. How did you transition from, you know, your naval career into, you know, a company like Boeing, which is a you know, powerhouse in the aviation industry? I'm sure your background is perfect for that but it, it's not an easy lateral move to go from, you know, to being an executive with a, such a, a powerhouse company. Well, I, I'll tell you what, there's two, two different answers to that. The first one is uh, in and amongst all the really fun stuff I got to do flying airplanes and driving ships. I had five tours in the Pentagon, none voluntary. And, and four of them were 
we're doing uh, Navy requirements uh, and uh, Naval aviation requirements and, and requirements to, to uh, you know, source what we need to go fight. So I was Boeing's customer uh, for, uh, you know, for things like F-18s, P-8s, V-22s um, and, you know, those those kind of things. And and so it was kind of natural as I transitioned out of the Navy in the, in the summer of 2017, several of the aerospace and defense companies in the space kind of looking at me going, hey, we kind of like what that guy did. And so essentially, um, I just came over and flipped from being the Navy customer to going to talk to the old me um, after, you know, a cooling off period, which which is required by Congress. That's first. Second, let's go back to the book for a second. Leading as an executive in a Fortune 100 aerospace and defense company or a charity or your church or the neighborhood or any commercial company is exactly the same as leading people in the military. And so if you look at my book and people go, well, that's, you know, that's a military leadership book that I won't get anything out of that. I've never been in the military. I don't, I can't even spell Naval Academy. Yeah. He's a fighter pilot, you know, and okay. Top Gun, they make movies. Okay, fine. I won't learn anything from that guy. And actually I'm telling you the stories in this book apply to anybody who's in a leadership position. So I found that the challenges of leading in the Navy are exactly the same as the challenges of leading in a large company like Boeing. I, I think that's exactly why we see, sir, that yeah, the the skills of leadership coming out of the Naval Academy are so marketable. You know that that you can have an electrical engineering degree, but you can also have an English degree with that little Bachelor of Science asterisk on it. But it's really the leadership that you're delivering to the C-suite and to the tactical level um, that that we've found is is valuable. And we've talked to alums for three seasons now who are leading from the tactical to the operational to the very strategic level. And, and all of them say foundationally, what you learn at the Naval Academy, what you learn through athletics is central to that. Uh, before I let you go, you know, what's the one thing, you know, if, if someone out there is thinking about going out there and buying this book and reading this book, you know, centralize the WIFM one more time. Like what, what, what makes this book special other than the inherent um, leadership lessons that are there that go across from the leadership to the civilian sector. What, what's that with them for someone out there? Recovery from failure. And so right, right there. I mean, the stories are awesome. I love telling them people react from them. I had jumped out of an F-14, you know, this is a story about ejecting and recovered uh, Keith Gallagher and Mark Baden in an A-6 partial ejection. I almost ran into several things as a ship driver you know, and people teach me stuff. So that all the stories are there and you highlighted the, the leadership lessons uh, that are on there, which I think are applicable, but it's recovery from failure and not being afraid to fail um, and keeping your dream alive. So, so throughout this book, you know, I, I, I dreamed to go fly Tomcats and, and I failed, I failed my first eye test at NAMI uh, down at Pensacola. And I thought I was done. I failed my first CQ and A4s. I thought I was done. You know, I got there and then way later on, I failed to select for, for an aircraft carrier until the very last look. And I thought I was done. And so it's the recovery from failure and not being afraid to have failure and having that vision in your head in sight the entire time. And that's what this book's about. So you listed all these things I did. Yeah. You look back at my career, it's all bumpy and hitting, a, you know, going back down. It's like climbing a, you know, a sheer face and having to retrace your steps and go back up again. Successful people, if they admit it, and this is where their vulnerability comes from, are going to look back down that career path and go, oh, man, yeah, there but for the grace of God, you know, go go I. And so what we learned at the Naval Academy as alumni is, is managing that kind of stress 
and still being willing to stick it out. And I think that's what the book brings to your to your listeners. And I just love being here with you guys because it's just this kind of spirit and energy that we need to get into everybody to go out there and, and lead. And then how you learn how to lead in those places and how you work at it for all. I'm still learning how to lead. So it's, it's great. Great to be here. Well, you stole it from me, sir. You know, how much have you relied upon your positive attitude to overcome those failures? Because I am a huge believer in going out there and, you know, the whole world is raining down upon you. But if you can look in the huddle at your at your offensive linemen, at your teammates and let them know that you've got their back as long as they have yours. I've always found that that helps. And you are one of the most positive overwhelmingly positive leadership personalities I've ever come around uh, in the Navy. How much has that helped you? Because I know that you've got to fake it a little bit. You know, we're not always really, really happy and really, really high energy. We can't all be Cindy Timschel around here, but how much, (laughs) how much has that helped you? Well, I mean, a lot, you know, I figured out a long time ago, maybe it's because I've been on 15 deployments on a carrier, right? So there's only two ways you can look at things. One, you can be down and go, oh, that sucks. Or two, you can be up and go, this is great. And so I choose to do the up piece. Now, here's why. Because if the leader is not positive, the unit is going to be down. And so there's a great story in a book I tell, you know, I, I just like my sense of humor and, and, and keeping a grin on your face. You go, what's it? You call us a storm, you know, Lieutenant Dan on top of the mast and Forrest Gump. You call us a storm? Come on. Leaders have to be confident because there are people in the organization who are going to be down and sad and homesick and they don't want to be there and they don't want to do this. And this is too hard. If you want to do anything, you got to fire them up and you can't fire them up by being Nancy negative. You have to be positive. You know, so quick, quick vignette story used to get on the 1MC on the on the USS Nimitz as the captain. The bosun mate would blow this, this minute long pipe that everybody, you know, the whole crew is like, I hate it. And then, and then he'd get on and go, stand by for a word from the commanding officer. And then I'd get on and I'd go, get even them, it's warriors. This is old salt. It's awesome out here. I mean, we've been on deployment for a hundred, you know, days. We're a million miles from nowhere. We haven't hit port in, in forever. We've had two beer days and it's like, what do you mean it's great out here? So I figured if I was always positive, that homesick, lonely E2 way down on the third deck who just doesn't know why she's there, looks at the, at the speaker and goes, if that idiot can be this happy, I can be there too. So it's about dragging your team with you. And if you look at them and you go, I'm counting on you, if, if the nirvana you get to is they don't want to disappoint you and you don't want to disappoint them. So just like your example, you're in the huddle, you got your arms around everybody and go, all right, this is the last time we, we've got one chance, counting on everybody, look left, look right, let's go. That's the attitude. And that will fire people up no matter where you are or what the task is. Well, count me as one of those people fired up, sir. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, retired Rear Admiral Nasty, anything but Nasty, Manazer. Uh, sir, thank you so much for coming on the show. The lessons that you have not only here but in the book are so worthwhile. We'll post it on our social media channels, ladies and gentlemen, but learn how to lead to win is the book. Admiral, thank you again. Yep, I mean, I'm giving you a 10 out of 10 on Room Raider. I mean, Stavridis has nothing on you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to 10 out of 10 you. See you, John. Bye, Bill. All right, see it, Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go to break. What a great interview. When we come back, Wags, Chris, and I will bring this baby out. This is in Second Sports. One final announcement before John and Wags take us out. 
We mentioned last week that the 2023 football season was out and we talked through what that season looks like. It's not too early to start thinking about sponsorships for the Sing Second Sports podcast for the 23-24 podcast season. If you're interested in sponsoring, we have a number of different packages available. DM us on Twitter or Instagram, and we'd be happy to talk to you about those opportunities. Now back to the pod. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. This has been a great, great podcast. Uh, Before we go out, there are some other uh, news events that we have to cover. Uh, Wags does not just own the sports section of the Capital Gazette, but he also owns the front page. And unfortunately, as the former PAO, I can tell you that every once in a while, the Naval Academy does end up on the front page um, of the Capital Gazette. This time, it was not for the best of things. Happening this week is the NCAA Zone A Diving Championships in Morgantown, West Virginia. Whatever NCAA divers uh, the Naval Academy is sending um, you know, for, the, uh, for the women's team will not have a coach in that Rich McDonald uh, this past week uh, resigned as the diving coach, something that was very unexpected out of nowhere. Wags, you wrote the story. I know that this was a difficult story to write because it's a really, really difficult situation to talk about. But, you know, in case any listeners out there failed to see this, uh, what exactly happened there? Well, yeah, it's the type of story you never want to write. I mean, uh, I received a tip from a reader about a Navy coach unnamed, uh, having been involved with a domestic assault and there was no real information. But then on Friday morning, Navy issued a very terse two-sentence statement that Rich McDonald had resigned and a national search was underway. And it was quite obvious uh, to put two and two together, connect the dots. And then, you know, Monday morning, first thing, we were able to dig up the police reports and it's very disturbing. But yes, Rich McDonald and he was charged with second degree assault. He was jailed at the uh, Jennifer Road Detention Center, and uh, uh, Chet Gladchuk, the athletic director, did the right thing. You cannot employ people who are arrested on these types of charges. And it, you know, we wish the McDonald's the best of luck, and hopefully, Rich can turn things around and get his career back. But uh, the Naval Academy could not employ a coach involved with this type of incident, and it is a very bad time. And he actually coaches both the men and the women divers. Uh, he's the diving coach. Bill Roberts is the men's swimming coach and Johnny Morrison's the women's swimming coach, but Rich McDonald handled the divers. So this puts them in a difficult situation. Now they're fortunate. Hannah Montal, who's a legend, one of the greatest divers in Navy history, she is here on temporary assignment duty. So she can provide some of the technical expertise to the divers as they hope to do. We're hoping that some of them advance through this zone A NCAA qualifier onto the full NCAA championships. Yeah, just an ugly, ugly situation there. And and we'll just leave it at that, that as we go forward, going for the rest of the week, quiet day on Friday, but then Saturday, WAGS men's rugby is back in, the, in competition. I'm actually very interested, provided that the weather holds up on Saturday to see men's rugby take on Cal uh, out there at Greenberry Point, 1230 p.m., on Saturday, um, right after that, baseball hosts the Princeton Tigers at 1 p.m. Uh, right there in Annapolis. We talked about men's lacrosse being on the road to Colgate for a very, very important bounce back game. 
uh, while men's gymnastics hosts Stanford and Air Force uh, there in Halsey Fieldhouse at 2 p.m. Baseball completes the twin bill against Princeton at 4 p.m. So you can spend Saturday afternoon with Navy Athletics. We encourage you to. Uh, the last game of the baseball series against Princeton is at 1 p.m. on Sunday. Ladies and gentlemen, that is it for Chris Cervello and Bill Wagner. I am John Schofield. Many thanks to Charlotte Ryan of Navy Women's Lacrosse for coming on the pod. Many thanks to retired Rear Admiral Nasty Manazer for talking to us about his book. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for supporting the pod. Thank you for supporting Navy Athletics. Until next week, this is Sing Second Sports. Thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.